This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Welcome everyone to another episode of Breaking Banks Europe. We're going to talk about how financials uh, are being dealt with by Gen Z, the next generation that needs to cope with money, but doesn't always have the ways to find how to do that. Uh, and we've got some really cool people here that are going to help us explore this one. Uh, and it's called uh, Money Under 20. So how are actually the under 20s dealing with money and how are they actually getting their financial information? So we've got Taylor Price here on the on the show. Uh, welcome, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. And I think you've got uh, quite a quite a nice reach uh, in which you, uh, you actually support people by understanding financial means. Uh, and I'd love to dive in deeper there in a bit to see uh, what you're up to. Uh, can you tell us a bit about your background? Oh, of course. So I'm currently 22 right now, just past the under 20 age. I started this entire journey when I was 17, 18 years old, came to the realization after switching majors in college in the United States from pre-med to finance, only to realize that only six out of 50 states in the United States at that time required financial literacy courses for testing. And so I was a corporate finance major and I thought I was missing a whole bunch of gen eds or something because I'm like, am I in the right class? I feel like Mm -hmm. I'm missing, I feel like I'm missing a whole bunch of knowledge, just like basic credit card information, what's a checking account versus a savings account. I'm about to turn 18. How do I pay my taxes? And come come to this realization, I eventually started posting blogs about why isn't the United States teaching this, but also my own personal financial life on, hey, I'm starting a Roth IRA. It's this thing in the United States that can eventually make me a millionaire by the time I'm 65 or 59 and a half. Um, That eventually led over to YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. And now here we are today. Um, It's been a super exciting journey so far. Really cool. Really cool. Thanks for sharing, uh, Taylor. We'll definitely dive in deeper there as well uh, in, in a bit. Uh, but we've got another distinguished guest today, uh, Milan Singh. Milan, great, uh, great to have you on the show as well. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you here. Can you tell us a bit about your background as well? Yeah, so I started my journey. Well, I was I first started learning more about finances and stuff, kind of in high school, because from my parents, I just learned how important saving was, so you can do a lot of stuff for that money. But again, they only taught me the saving aspect because most people, even most parents, um, don't really understand the whole investing aspect of things and how to really manage your money to make it grow properly. So I got the saving part down and then I got to college and that's when I really started reading books. I really started getting into business. I remember my one of the first ones was How to Win Friends and Influence People. And then from there, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Think and Grow Rich. And I started reading all these books. And then I also discovered YouTube. There were channels like Graham Stephens, and I had no idea none of this ever existed, right? So in college, I got exposed to all this new knowledge of finance. And then throughout college, I'm just consistently learning. And I'm also majoring in financial mathematics at the time. 
uh, and also stats and stuff. So I was taking a lot of finance classes and stuff. But again, the stuff they teach you in school is not really applicable to real life stuff. So yeah. I'm learning all these complicated things about finance and about stocks and put options and call options and all this stuff. But again, most people don't really apply that stuff to their everyday lives. So I was learning all that and I was learning the 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 more, I guess, common stuff like about credit cards and about budgeting when it comes to finance. So throughout college, I just consistently kept learning. And then after I graduated, uh, I discovered TikTok and I was like, hey, I'm already doing this stuff. I am already investing. I remember in college, I took out, I don't recommend this, by the way, I took out a $3,000 student loan and I invested that into index funds and I ended up making a $1,000 profit. But I had just, I just kept doing these things, right? So I had, I had taken the action, I had learned. And then after I graduated, I saw TikTok and I was like, okay, well, there's an, this looks like super cool opportunity where I can share the information, share uh, what I've learned so far and yeah. kind of just see where it goes. And then slowly it's just turned into this, into a career. And it's been a wild journey that I never, ever uh, had imagined. And, and it's, it's been great. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I think both of you got such an enormous reach uh, with uh, with your activities. Um, but from that perspective, it's kind of funny. I think what you're both describing that um, the, the information was basically already there. It's just not channeled towards the people that need it, right? So I think that's what you both discovered. So what do you think is on? What's going on there? How how come actually people don't have access usually to that kind of information? I would love to take this one. Yeah, at least in the United, yeah. yeah. At least in the United States. Culturally, culturally, socially, money is not supposed to be talked about at the dinner table. And I think one of the things that Milan and I do is challenge that status quo and end this silent um, pandemic of financial illiteracy by having some of these hard conversations that maybe parents don't do because they're not comfortable speaking about their finances with their children or teachers don't talk about it because they never got the financial education themselves. Which is actually quite funny because I think from a European perspective, we generally think that people from the USA are quite financially savvy uh, mm. because everyone at least learns to invest for their own pension, uh, which nobody does in Europe. Uh, but then again, it, that's also a, a small aspect, of course, of the financial literacy you were actually talking about. What, what do you think, Milan? Yeah, I think similar to what Taylor said, it's like a taboo to talk about money. Like asking your teacher how much you make or asking your parents about money. They're like, oh, you don't need to worry about that when you're young, right? How much is the car payment? Well, you don't need to worry about that. How how much is our mortgage? How much is our home payment? Oh, don't worry about that. We don't, we don't talk about that stuff. That's kind of how the mindset is for a lot of people here in the U.S., when it comes to talking about money, like it's considered rude to ask somebody how much they make. I mean, that's a big reason why I think so many people are financially illiterate. It's just, there's this, there's this fear and embarrassment to talk about money. So what happens? That's your whole subconscious mindset is, uh, I don't like, I, I shouldn't be talking about it. So guess what? You're not going to learn about it. You're not going to learn how to invest your money. You're not right. going to learn how to budget. Right. So then that is the mindset that's embedded in most Americans, which is why. Uh, a lot of people don't know and don't start investing or don't start saving until later down the road. And that, that, I mean, the studies and the data speaks for itself, right? Like a lot of people are living from paycheck to paycheck during COVID. I think people couldn't even afford like a $400 emergency, like a majority of the people over 50%, which is, which is insane. But I don't know the, the stats for Europe, but in the U S it was, it's not really that good with how much money that is around here. 
it's familiar. I think it's quite uh, quite common as well. I think there's uh, there's a lot of welfare systems here uh, that are actually also at the point of breaking uh, because you see that everything is under tension, especially with current rising prices. Uh, people are really uh, struggling to meet ends uh, at the, at the bottom of the pyramid, so to say. Um, uh, and also there you see on the literacy side that it's also not common to talk about salaries. Uh, there are some exceptions in Europe, like for example in uh, Sweden, for example, where you could actually look up everyone's salary in a database, uh, which is public. Uh, completely different setup, but uh, in most uh, European countries it's also not done to talk about uh, your income. Mm. Um, but indeed, it's also a really, I think what you struck upon is the fact that it's not just about teaching, but also about doing, right? So I think it's not, um, uh, the, the way to learn to cope with money is actually, for example, the best way to, to learn to make investments is actually to have losses, uh, probably, right? Not just wins, because it's not realistic to just have wins. You actually actually have to understand that there's a downside to it as well. And that's probably how to do that. What do you think about that, Taylor? Is that something that you that you could? How are we actually getting people to do that? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty dangerous when you first start going into something like the stock market or real estate or crypto, and you come out with a big win first because it's this, hey, um, I, there's a lot of money to be made here. Whereas if you lose money to start off with, I think you realize the value of a dollar and how hard it is to make it appreciate and really grow your money tree. And so for me personally, I know it's kind of hard to say this, but I appreciate a loss first to understand, uh, make that loss into your future success with different approaches such as diversification, rebalancing, and using different like asset allocation strategies. But hopefully not the discouragement to actually make investments right after your first loss, because that happens as right. well. Yeah. Right. I think that's uh, that reminds me of something I was reading the other day. It's about people that have a heart attack tend to survive a lot longer, tend to take care of their health a lot more after that heart attack, right? Mm-hmm. So it's that same way in investing. It's You're a lot more aware of it because of that loss, and then you're going to be much more cautious. You're going to learn a lot more before you start investing money again um, so you don't lose uh, like last time. I would be interested to know, for example, as well, if that people that know someone who had a heart attack would actually also improve their lives. I think there's uh, also yeah. a, a sort of uh, overspill effect um, that, uh, that could also play a role, and especially also in the financial side, right? If you know someone who went bankrupt, you, I think you're more cautious with your finances than if everything has been just, you know, like a fairy tale. Definitely. Most definitely. Yeah, those who were affected by 2008, 2010, um, they take a look and see the stock market or the housing market is very dangerous because their family, friends, somebody close within their network had a horrible experience. And so it kind of has this generational trauma attached to it of, oh, my parents lost a lot of money in the stock market because of this or the housing market because of this. And so again, I think Milan and I are here to empower so many young people that that case, that money story doesn't have to be yours. And we live in such different times now. And there's so much accessibility to what's out there. Even conversations like this today really weren't you know, Milan and I are super young, and it's just amazing to even be able to speak about this in a professional setting that we can be heard as well, too. 
Uh, I think it's really important. By the way, if you keep on saying that you're uh, very young, then I feel very old, you know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, I think it's quite interesting to to see. And I think the what I, what I'd like to pick your brain on as well. So sort of what what do you see? What have you identified yourself as sort of the critical things that you you need to learn about? I think we've touched a little bit about investing as as a sort of a basic need, but I think it's beyond that as well, right? I mean, there's it's it's quite a broad spectrum of, of things you need to know to be uh to be financially healthy uh for example yeah so i love this concept because my parents my mom specifically always told me growing up and i'm a natural spender taylor money money does not grow on trees and so i kind of came up with this concept when i got into this space well conceptually if you think about it we can plant our little money tree seed and this is having that growth mindset that there are opportunities out there to get what you want out of life and i think it really starts with the mindset and doing self-reflection and identifying your values which then relate to financial goals and the way in which you operate those mm -hmm. then you have this small little tree, roots need to start growing, such as your savings accounts and your emergency funds. Because if a financial storm comes by, you need to have something kind of protecting and keeping your money tree rooted. Then you allow your tree to grow. You have your primary source of income as your financial core of your trunk or of your tree. And that also needs to be protected as well, too, with bark from a tree. Or you can think about that as insurance. So just as a tree might, you know, just as a tree might have uh, insect enemies or something like that trying to get at the core, this insurance can help you um, protect your assets. And then you grow this money tree with these different branches. And those branches are a little bit weaker, but they can create the money leaves such as your investments in the stock market and other investment vehicles. And these have the passive income effect where your money leaves just continuously grow. And of course, if you spend those money leaves are falling off, if you're saving the money, you know, the money tree is really flourishing. So you got that's this kind of really well thought through. I can hear that. Yeah, that's really nice. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of the concept of the money tree. And then, of course, there's for the fertilizer of your, of your money tree, reviewing your finances and making sure that you're building financial resilience. So that's the money tree concept. Really nice. Really nice. Yeah. What do you think, Milan? Yeah. I mean, I don't have any sort of concept like that, but, <laughs> but uh, I think just getting the foundations down is extremely important because Obviously, that's how you build on everything. So, I mean, first of all, mindset, like Taylor was saying, which is it's perfect. Like you need to have the right abundance mindset when it comes to money, that there is money out there. You don't need to be saving. Like if you want a $5 Starbucks, it's it's okay to have that. It's it's more about the bigger things. It's more about the bigger picture. And just getting your 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 main stuff down, like cutting down on your on your, I guess, your credit card spending or, or or at least keeping your credit card balances extremely low so you're not paying these high, crazy high interest rates, right? Stuff like that. So I think that's very pivotal. So even before you get into investing, just figure out, like I think credit cards is extremely important, like only using your credit cards for purchases and then paying that off right away, only using it for uh, things that you can actually afford for, for stuff that you can pay off, right? So uh, something like that, just the main foundational concepts of, I think just a simple concept uh, of the budgeting rule, 50, 30, 20 is, is another good one. It's, I think 50% goes to your, to your, what was it? 50% goes to your wants, 30% to your needs. And then 20% goes to your, 
I think it's like investing or saving, but you can allocate it however, just these type of foundational concepts, I think are extremely important before you even get into the deeper stuff, before even investing into a stock market, right? Like maybe first save some money and actually have a three to six month emergency fund before you start doing some of the complicated things such as investing or before you even start getting into uh, saving through certain tax loopholes and stuff, right? So making sure that you have these foundations down, I think is extremely important. And then Taylor's money tree concept is actually perfect because that's kind of how it focuses. Like you have the foundations that kind of grow into these other and different categories. So absolutely agree with everything Taylor was saying before. Definitely. Also, if you can reap the fruit, right? That's also something that you could really make explicit how people can actually benefit from it directly. Um, But I like what you're saying as well, Milan. I think, are you also familiar with the 1% rule? Uh, As in basically if there's 1% of your annual income uh, if you want to spend some over that, that you at least have to wait three days before you do it, right? So that basically that you pause your uh, your spending uh, when it uh, exceeds a certain level and say, okay, I'm, I might decide on it today, but I'm not going to do it today. I've come to wait three days at least before I actually do it. So I have some time, time to rethink whether this is really where I want to spend my money. I, I think I've heard of the seven-day one. It's similar to that. Oh, yeah. So where you yeah, exactly. actually yeah. wait seven days uh, or you I, wait I like a week. And then... I, I might get it wrong as well. So I think that's the nice thing as well. With so many people that you know uh, influence the way we think about finances, there's so many rules popping up as well, I think, at the same time. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. But I, I, think, that's, I think that's a great rule, actually, because normally people want to have, people want to buy right away. There's this impulse, these impulse purchases. And that's how we are marketed to. Most of these companies want us to buy based on impulse and buy right away. But if you wait three days, five days, seven days, you'll realize that you don't actually want that thing. Sometimes I'll just add something to cart on Amazon. And if I don't order it right away in a week, I won't even want it. So we just have to get past these impulsive needs as well, right? Where we're spending money on stuff that we don't even want at the end of the day and that we'll just get it right away and we get that little dopamine rush, I guess, and then we never use it. So it's becoming aware of stuff like that, I think is very foundational. I would love to add another point to that. You know, you had one concept, Milana, that it was seven days. And Don, you had that it was 3% of your annual income and you have to wait a certain time period. Personal finance is so personal. And this is what I love to tell people as well, too, that everybody has their own different ideation. And so when you're going to look on social media or these books, it's kind of, you have to think, you have to approach it like a cookbook. Like some might leave a a sour taste in your mouth. Others might be really fun and exciting recipes to try. It's all about grabbing those financial essentials, what I call finesse that works for you. Um, So I think that's a really important to leave um, with listeners today too. Totally agree. Totally agree. I think it's really it's to it's really wise to gather as much wisdom as you can and just identify how people are doing it, and then figuring out what works well for you to actually manage your own uh, your own situation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing I'm also curious about in this in this context is the the uh, how you actually we, we talk let's say talk about investing, which usually is about generating passive income, but on sort of the active income side. One of the things I really like about the tech evolution that we're in is that actually. There's a lot of earning capabilities, you know, new ways of work, you know, being identified every day, basically. How do you look at that? How basically just from renting out your apartment to actually, uh, you know, running errands or uh, cooking a meal for someone or selling it. I think there's just so many ways popping up because there's platforms for everything. Uh, anyone could be a trainer, a trader on uh, Amazon or Alibaba or indeed basically set up or, or make money by uh, going onto social, social media and, and finding a way that's attractive for people to follow. 
uh, these income generative uh, generating activities, I think, are quite an interesting perspective as well on on creating economic prosperity. Right. Uh, just curious about your thoughts about about that. Gen Z, I think, embodies this idea of autonomy and being independent and being efficient. And they see their parents or their guardians or somebody within their family or friends that is slaving to a nine to five job and is just having trouble making ends meet. Um, what's going on with uh, SVB and Credit Suisse? And there's this banking crisis right now, too, that a lot of people, at least in the United States, don't have a lot of trust in our government right now. And so they just don't have a lot of trust, period. And I think that goes into Gen Z and how with us, the freelancer economy, the side hustle or gig economy has been expanding um, during this time, especially in the pandemic where a lot of people were getting laid off or furloughed and coming to this realization that nothing is guaranteed, even if you have a college degree. And so this is where people like Milan and I arise, at least speaking for me, TikTok was something that I enjoyed, but it's not something that I thought could be profitable. And I'm able to monetize my passion while also having a great impact on the globe. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Because even with, I didn't know initially with social media that like there was a lot of monetization opportunities because I remember doing it just for the first six months, I was just uploading a video and then the opportunity started to come. But then like, I did not know how much money was in the space and the monetization opportunity. So it makes it much more, I guess, incentivized to talk about the things that we like and the impact people, right? Because then we can spend more time on it because we can make money from it as well. And I think I think that's uh, that's a huge opportunity that social media has created for the right people that want to share the the right information. I think it's it's very valuable for most people that uh, the opportunity that's been created with social media and and everybody gets this value from it. That's I mean that's why people watch. That's why Taylor has a massive following because so many people are getting value from it. Yeah, uh, no, totally. Uh, and I think from that perspective, it's pretty democratic, right? In the sense that actually, indeed, where where the followers are, where people watch your stuff, that's where the money goes. Um, yeah, really nice. Um, so cool. And is it also something that you would actually educate people on? So, I mean, uh, do you do you see that as part of a sort of a financial uh, literacy side as well, or do you see that as something separate? In terms of educating on social media, yeah, yeah, I think I think it's a part of it. I think if you can, again, though, it's going to come down to because as as we talked about earlier everything is personal and every situation is very different and unique so it's going to come down to you to uh not just go to one resource don't just listen to me you still have to do research on these concepts just because you heard of the 50 30 20 rule from me you should still be going out and doing more research on these budgeting concepts maybe that's not the right allocation for you maybe it's going to be 60 30 20 for you right 60% goes to your needs so i think it's good i think it's a part of it but again, it's only a part of it. It's not the complete picture. You can't just go to my account and just learn every single thing. There's there's so many different things. There's so many different aspects. There's so many different angles you can hit on all these different concepts that, okay, maybe for me, you, you come to my page and it's a good intro to these concepts. And now you look into it a little bit more so that you can find what works best for your situation. So I think it's all together. But again, it's going to uh, not a single resource isn't enough 
for anybody and 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 everything just kind of comes together and completes it uh for each person but i wouldn't say that oh you just you can just come to go to a single page and you'll learn everything right because there's always going to be different aspects that you need to research for yourself yeah totally agree Totally agree. I think it's indeed there's with, with so many so much information available and so many different channels. There's definitely you need to educate yourself in a broad perspective from from different angles. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, how about you, Taylor? How does how wide does 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 your tree grow? Basically, uh, you talk about your your model. I think it's a really nice one. De- definitely catchy. Um, yes. Yeah. I, to to play off what Milan said again, just personal finance is personal. I think that's a specialty of social media today. Is that actually? I think when when I started, there was, and I started in twenty nineteen, December twenty nineteen, posting on TikTok, and I was the first young female to start talking about financial literacy on the platform. Now today, after the pandemic has happened, after people are starting to become more educated, they're getting inspired to share their own stories. And I think it's an amazing opportunity for the average consumer to not only one, get this accessibility, but to relatability. Because just like Milan said, there are different peoples from different cultures, from different backgrounds that have different values. And by having this amount of financial content creators or influencers, I guess is what we're titling titling it here for this podcast there's this opportunity for somebody to learn so there's there's no excuse at this point in time you you have the opportunity and it's just a matter of like milan said taking taking it definitely by the way on that note i think it's really interesting to dive in a bit deeper about the concept of influencer and whether you actually uh think that you are one or uh, whether we should call you something else uh, but let's do that after the break so uh ask you all to be a bit patient and see you all soon do you want to be part of breaking banks europe Reach out and learn more about the opportunity to be featured in one of our shows. With over 1.6 million listeners and counting, Breaking Banks Europe is bound to become the place to advance critical dialogue in Europe and the UK fintech scene. Reach out on Instagram or Twitter at BreakingBanksEU or go to www.provoke.fm. Thank you all for joining us again for the follow-up on the Breaking Banks episode 170 on uh, Money Under 20. Uh, And we're just about to actually pick up again on the discussion of influencers, because very often everyone who gives any kind of financial advice uh, uh, online on social media is being called a influencer. But of course, there's a great great variety of different ways people actually uh, influence people. And uh, should you actually be influencing people or just informing people? But uh, Taylor, what do, what do you think about that? I think you uh, you have an idea about this. I think it's a great question and a great conversation topic. So when we traditionally think of an influencer, back when Instagram started in like 2010 or the 2010 range or something along those lines, we think of an influencer as somebody who's on the beach, who's driving Lamborghinis, who is living this luxurious lifestyle or the the lifestyle that a lot of people get addicted to or want to, to strive for. Whereas I think what Milan and I are doing is really being an advocate 
or activist in informing people about these opportunities when it comes to growing your money tree rather than just influencing them to do these different kinds of activities. Yeah. Okay. And so you see there's a big difference there. And so do you see also in, in influencing or whatever you want to call it, do you see actually that there's still, are these guys still around or girls uh, that actually are mixing the two basically and trying to provide this ideal life picture that a lot of people might want to follow and actually are also into financial advice or do you see a much more sober approach generally to financial channels? There are so many content creators now. And I think that's what the beauty of it is. Like, I'm not going to lie. I love, although I don't have a Birkin bag, I love the idea of a Birkin bag and that it can outperform the S&P 500. So yes, there's a part of luxury, but there's also a part of this area where you can combine the two worlds. Same thing with like a Patek Philippe or a Rolex that actually outperformed the stock market this year so far. And so there are these different worlds that you can live in. It's just a matter of that the mindset in which you have to fine tune it to your own financial essentials. Milan? Yeah. Um, so on the whole influencer aspect of things, just like Taylor, I consider myself a creator. I don't think... Influencer does have a different connotation to it. For me, I just, whenever somebody asks me, oh, like, what do you do? I'd say I'm a creator. It's not, I don't say influencer, but uh, yeah, for me too, I think it's more about informing and it's just letting them know, okay, here's what you can use or here's what you should do, but, or, or here's what can work for certain situations, but it's ultimately up to them. Like this is for educational purposes. This is education and it's not advice. So that's kind of how I leave it up to. That's something I literally put in every single video that, hey, this is not uh, this is not advice, right? Because again, as Taylor was saying, everybody's situation is different, different cultural backgrounds, different values. So I always want to make that very clear that, hey, this is for educational purposes. Now you can go and branch out from this a little bit further and figure out what works best for you. So I consider it more of a more, more informational rather than influential in, in that sense. Yeah, I can definitely imagine. I think uh, indeed the word uh, influ influencer or finfluencer is not always seen as a very positive one. Uh, and I think one of the temptations I think that might have as well, I think in these channels, I mean, is that there are of course parties probably also approaching you to uh, say, you know, hey, can't you talk a little bit more about my product uh, in the market? I've got a very, I've got a, I got a crypto issuance coming up, and you should definitely mention that in your advice to your, uh, to your followers. Uh, that must have happened uh, from time to time. Uh, how do you deal with that? Yeah, well, yeah. There's so many companies that reach out, and so many little brands and and crypto coins, whatever. And again, for me, it's more about if uh, if it's a legitimate product and a legitimate company, right? Then I'm gonna, I'm not gonna hesitate to, uh, and and that's also a good fit for my audience because again, my position and my audience's position is different, right? Because I might be making this much, and my audience might be making that much when it comes to certain products. So, a lot of the time, it's not even that I have to be using the product. Like if I'm using the product and, you know, if it's uh, like Robinhood or, or, or Fidelity reaches out and I use Fidelity, which is a big broker here in the US, and mm -hmm. then I'm like, oh, cool, I'll promote it. And I also use it. So it's awesome. But sometimes there are certain products that don't make sense for me because my income might be higher than somebody else's that's following me. So I also try to consider it from my audience perspective in the sense, okay, is it going to be more useful for them? Is this yeah. company actually going to be useful for them? And even though I don't use it, 
I'm, I'm going to do my research and I'm going to make sure it's legitimate. And then I'll, uh, that's how I kind of think about it. But I, of course, I don't push any sort of just very risky products. I don't talk about, I'm not, I'm not pushing any sort of coins or any sort of specific things that people should do. It's normally about just certain companies that they can reach that are legitimate, that have, you know, that have funding or that are publicly traded. And uh, that's what I normally tend to look out for when I, when I think about what brands I'm going to work with and whatnot. Imagine that's good for you, uh, Taylor. Oh, yeah, I totally second that. I also think there's this conversation of moral and ethics, business, business ethics as well, too. And so, for me, I wanted to be a neurosurgeon prior to this entire path. I have an intrinsic motivation to want to help people and serve my community, and this is just one other way to do that. And coming down to different brand opportunities or partnership opportunities, aside from if the if it fits within our community, I think there's just some foundational aspects as well too, as an example, kind of correlating it to today's news with SVB. A product that is FDIC insured is a product that I would like to have personally. And yeah. so something along the, just the basics that SPIC, whatever it might be, I think that's something that both Milan and I do a beautiful job kind of you know, going through the ins and outs and vetting these companies and products to make sure that they are ones that we trust might not necessarily, like Milan said, have to use because they might not be relevant at this point in our time, but we could use it at some point in time. Um, But just having those foundations that we can sleep at night, knowing that we are still serving people in an, an impactful and positive way. Uh, I think it's, I mean, it's also true. I think generally people need to know about the solutions that are out there that could potentially help them. Uh, but you always have to be careful indeed. And I think the ethics play an important role there as well, uh, for sure. But this is also, I think, where I think some channels might not, or some uh, influencers, creators might not take it that, might not have a different view on the ethics side and uh, be much more on the product push side uh, from that perspective. And I think that's also what's causing a bit of a negative effect on the concept of influence. Um, I think it's really, really, really nice to, to see how you do that. And so maybe just to bridge back a bit, uh, uh, bridge back towards where we started. I think you both uh, uh, really sort of dove, uh, were coming from an educational system where you gained a lot of uh, knowledge about the financial system, but didn't see that as being sufficient to actually manage day-to-day finance, right? So it's much more focused on uh, business finance and very specific concepts rather than, you know, being able to actually you know, get yourself a mortgage, make your own investments or know how to insure everything that you have. How do you see that we can bridge that? Do you see there's, is there other opportunities to actually look at sort of uh, uh, bridging the, the gap between what education has to offer and what p- people actually need? Uh, are there ways that you think about that as well, other than what you already do or that? Currently, we are that bridge. I found this book at Habitat for Humanity, which is basically a thrift store in the United States. It's a chain. And I was in their free books section and I came across this book called Wealth Without Risk. And it talks about foundational principles of wealth. And within one of the first few paragraphs, the author goes to say, the US doesn't teach us in our educational system. So here I am today writing this book. That's from like the 1980s. We're like 
four decades past that now, like almost four decades past that now and things have not changed. Yes, government moves slowly, but I don't think that's slow. And so I think Milan and I truly are that bridge because prior to this wave of quote unquote influencers or content creators, financial activists, advocates, whatever you want to call them, whatever resonates with you, it just wasn't talked about. And it was only talked about with your financial advisor, if you could afford one, if it was accessible to you. But Milan and I now and other creators like us are eliminating the barriers of entry to this entire space, making financial planning, wealth building, wealth management accessible. Yeah, absolutely. I second all that. I think now, of course, like that book was in 1980s. So now it's now the formats are shifting on how that information is relayed. But there's always going to be something else that comes in to fill that gap when our education system, when our government can can't make it a requirement for there to be personal finance classes in school, right? Then there's books being written. And now there's social media. It's just another form of communication. And then the next thing is going to be in augmented reality. There's going to be people doing something over there, right? Literally teaching probably in uh, AI environment type stuff. And uh, it's just the formats are going to keep changing. But again, there's going to be that communication uh, style will change, but that content and that education will continue through through people like us that have learned it and that want to share this information. And right now, social media is huge. And then the next thing is going to be AR and augmented reality and stuff. And then it's going to continue to change down the line. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, I think it's, it's great that we got basically this as a supplement uh, as a knowledge channel. And indeed, I think I mean the the, the challenge indeed is pretty old. I think the uh, Think and Grow Rich, uh, as Milan was also mentioning, is a book from the 1930s, I believe. Uh, so that's uh, uh, it's 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 a very old time that indeed people feel that they need more power to to manage their finances, but don't always get access to that through the public means. So great that you do that, indeed. Um, on the note, on basically what you see as well, so I mean, you've got, of course, the outbound uh, side of, inf- uh, let's say, informing people about uh, financial means, but I guess you actually also get a lot of inbound uh, requests, questions, uh, remarks that might actually help you on one hand sort out what the challenges are today. Uh, what are some of the things that you're currently picking up? Uh, I think, uh, Taylor, you already mentioned uh, SGB, Credit uh, Suisse uh, kind of uh, misery where I can imagine quite some people are worried about. Um, what, what do you see? What do you see people discussing at that level? Well, I think now uh, the conversation, especially with um, Fed rate hikes and things of that nature, is inflation and how that impacts our savings as a younger generation. And to me, it's or it it will be eroding our savings. So the savings that we contribute now, inflation will erode it for the future. There's also this conversation of, you know, people in their later 20s who were considering buying a house a few years ago when the interest rates were at like all time lows, 2%, you know, 1.7%, whatever they, you know, the lowest was. Now they're looking at 7, 8, 9, 10%. And they're having this conflicting battle of, well, is now the time or should I wait for it to drop again? Will it ever drop that low again? So I feel like all of this stuff is kind of cyclical and that it it moves with the market over whatever time span that is, whether it's a year, five years, 10 years. And so those are kind of some of the questions that I've been getting asked about a lot. Yeah. 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 That make that all makes sense. And also from inflation and that conversation comes down to, okay, so if we have to wait to invest our money or to buy a house or whatever, like how do we actually preserve 
our our money and the purchasing power of it, right? So because mm-hmm. I mean, with inflation, your money is losing value if you're just letting it sit. So I mean, how do I start investing is is a is a question I get all the time because a lot of people do want to fight against that inflation and stuff. But again, it's just so many people don't know what exactly to invest in. There's so many different options and and. I think that's another big part of the conversation. How do we allocate that money that I do have then? If I'm going to be waiting, if I'm not going to buy a house, if I'm waiting for the interest rate to drop, then what should I do with the money, right? How should I change my plans? So these are all things that people are really thinking about right now and with the interest rates going up and everything. And like Taylor mentioned, it's uh, it's definitely changing how a lot of people are thinking about what they want to do. Yeah, and of course, you always have to invest counter-cyclical, but uh, yeah, then you have to understand the cycles, right? Uh, exactly. That's uh, that's pretty tough. The, uh, Ray Dalio actually made quite some interesting uh, uh, write-ups and videos as well about uh, the, the longer cycles in the economy and how to invest uh, counter-cyclical. Uh, because indeed, also with the housing prices, right? So, I mean, if the interest rates go up, the housing prices go down. So that's basically the trade-off. Uh, so you have to figure out what, which one is worse for you uh, or good for you. Right, um, it's like a double-edged sword. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and it's, it's really hard sometimes to to assess. Uh, it's really personal, indeed. What 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 you have to put first. So maybe just also to to take that on a bit. So do you take any kind of inspiration from other people? Uh, some books were mentioned already, but do you have some people that you say like, okay, we really think that they are actually also very well capable of of explaining uh, this, and or they've been a good guy to get started, for example, in uh, in this field. Um, yeah, personally, it's all over. The inspiration could be from my community who's asking a particular question that I haven't thought about to address based off of my background, et cetera. Um, There's also amazing creators like Milan too, who have amazing content that's easy to understand, educational, that I might want to take inspiration from and relate it into a way that resonates with my community and my audience. There might be news, you know, news articles that are like, wow, that's a really great topic to address right now that could be affecting my community. So there's all these different areas. And I think that's what makes both Milan and I creative is that creativity is really connecting to unlike things and making them making them, you know, have this synergy together in a way that's like, oh, wow, that's really innovative. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm on the, I'm on the same page. It's also, I mean, there's, it could be the randomest thing that you get information from. I might just be reading an article and I'm like, oh, you know what? That's a good video idea. And because I have a personal experience with that, I can add to that concept. Or if I see Taylor's video and I'm like, oh my God, this is an amazing video. And then I'm like, hey, I can add a little bit more to it from my experience that'll resonate with my audience, just like Taylor was saying. And uh, yeah, I mean, inspiration can come from anywhere. And it's just, I think if you have, if you're, I guess if you're if you're a content creator like us, then you're naturally thinking about this stuff, right? You're naturally thinking, oh, this this might be a good piece of content, uh, right? When you come across something, and uh, yeah, it's almost hard to do anything nowadays. I don't know about you, Milan, but even books. When I read books, I think books are like my new form of entertainment because it's not online or digital. Whereas you know, posting YouTube videos and doing the social media thing, where a lot of people do our age do get their content. Now I'm like really into books, but I'm it's it's hard to kind of turn off the oh that could be a really great idea and highlight it or send it or start doing yeah. something. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I have like tons of literally. I, I use Notion, and I have so many of these just random ideas that come to mind. I just like write them down so I can elaborate on it later. And there's just like literally probably like a hundred that I haven't done. There's just so many different things to do. So uh, probably when you're highlighting your books, you probably have that same experience where like, oh, I'm gonna make a video on this, and then another idea, I'm gonna make a video on this, and then you have all these different ideas. But it's just hard. It's also difficult to execute on all of them um, because sometimes some things are very specific, and I also try to make it so that it, it applies to as, as many people as possible. Yeah. But that's also quite a bit of the fun of actually doing this, right? So to to suck up inspiration from everywhere and turning it into to your to your own concept, uh, I think it's definitely one of the one of the nice things of uh, being able to do this. Uh, um, definitely enjoy that as well. Maybe the, on the note, I think um, because I think we're almost uh, running out of time. Um, one thing, of course, that uh, must be playing into you as well is that there's a big discussion about the power of big tech firms and whether or not they should be uh, having this reach. Uh, for example, in America now, with discussions about potentially banning TikTok. What's your view on that? And is that something that you would would basically fear if that would really happen? Or uh, is that a minor channel in, in the way that you communicate currently? I think one of one of the advantages or competitive advantages that Milan and I have being in this space and considering that we both love personal finance, a major part of personal finance is diversification. And we relate that into other aspects of our business. And so it's not just about TikTok. Like Milan has a million plus followers too on Instagram and other social media platforms. And so we come at it with almost this advantage that we look at other opportunities with this bird's eye view of, hey, this should probably be diversified too. Maybe we should have our users off platforms and have their emails or phone numbers so that we can reach out to them directly. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think TikTok is okay. It's one means of communication. But then for the people that really like Taylor that enjoy personal finance, Taylor and I like that enjoy, we're going to find other ways to communicate that there's so many different ways to, to do it. So personally, I'm not too worried about the TikTok ban. I know it. I know it's going to affect the creator economy in a very major way. Uh, but again, I think one thing just leads to another and there's more opportunities and, and and yeah, like diversification. And Taylor's working on a on a super cool startup as well, which she can speak on. And right, so like that's why we've just created opportunities for ourselves where we'll be fine if one channel goes out because we're consistently working on new things on how to get this information out there. Yeah, cool. Taylor, tell us about it. Yes, so it's called Definitive, D-F-I-N-I-T-I-V dot I-O. And it's all about maximizing your deals, discounts, and offers. I think social media is great and really empowering for financial literacy. But for me, those who want to take the next step, I needed to go ahead and create and co-found this startup to build tools to help other people get their money's worth. And especially today's uh, economy when people are talking about global economic recessions. And so the idea is that there are these credit cards. And like Milan said from the very beginning of the ep- on the top of the episode, making sure that you utilize your credit card responsibly and you don't encounter these high interest fees is of utmost importance. So when you do re- when you do actually utilize your credit card responsibly, there are these amazing perks nowadays that credit cards have to offer, cashback points, miles, statement credits, things of that nature. And just so many people don't even know that it, they exist. And if they do know, they they aren't really using them because 
time is money and we just don't want to spend our time trying to find and search these deals. And so we're creating a mobile app that allows you to get your money's worth with every purchase by maximizing those deals, discounts, and offers that are available to you. Cool. Cool. Really interesting. Yeah. A nice one to 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 knock it out with, I think. Uh, so, look forward to follow that, uh, Taylor, to see uh, to see uh, how that's evolving. Uh, a really nice, uh, nice project. Um, do you have one last thing, maybe a, a piece of advice that you want to give to people that are listening in? Say, like, okay, this perhaps where you want to start your financial literacy journey. For me, it's planning that money tree seed, getting that money tree mindset. Start thinking about different ways in which you can grow your money tree. Start thinking about those roots, your emergency fund, your savings accounts. If you already have all that set up, start thinking about the environment in which your money tree lives in. Are you in the place where you're building financial resiliency? Do you have more sources of income? Are you protected? Um, Things of that nature. I think think this concept expands to everybody at all stages of their personal financial journey. And so to start, it's it's planting that money tree seed and adopting that growth mindset. Great. Thanks, Taylor. How about you, Milan? Yeah, for me, I think it's just, I think initially, at least for, well, actually any stage, but I think just learning how to learn about money, that's going to be extremely important. Because once you learn how to learn, then you're really going to get into it. You're going to, it's going to be really easy. It's going to be automatic for that tree and the branches to just come out, right? It, it relates to how Taylor was saying about the mindset. So once you get that down, because after I learned in college how to really learn and start reading these books, like it's just so much opportunity opened up. Like it was automatic. I could easily just learn everything else, right? And that's that's a big challenge here in the US. Uh, like it's not talked about. The, the mindset is, is completely downwards when it comes to learning about money and talking about it. It's taboo. So I think, yeah, I think that's that's the biggest thing. I want to leave people off with just learn how to learn about money. Great. I think it's a great advice. I think so indeed, basically, if I try to interpret it, it would basically say it's not about, you know, learning how to make your first investment. It's first on really understanding what is risk and how do you actually manage your financial household? How do you protect it? How do you, how can you grow your wealth and so on uh, as a concept before you actually start expanding into all the possibilities that there are? Um, Absolutely. I think it's definitely a really, really wise one to, uh, to, to give to everyone. Um, and I really hope as well that everyone was enjoying this uh, conversation today, because I think uh, within Breaking Bank Europe, we usually talked with uh, a lot of bankers, tech firms uh, that are all active in the financial industry, and everyone cares about financial literacy, but it's always hard to execute on uh, actually educating people. So it's been really great to have you on the show and uh, you sharing your insight with us and uh, Really looking forward to uh, to keep in touch with you and uh, see if we could uh, bridge the world of fintech and uh, and uh, financial literacy as you're doing uh, quite well at the moment. So thank you very much for being on the show there, Taylor and Milan, and looking forward to see you all again very, very soon. Thanks for having thank us. for having us. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.